Hi. The subject of this week's interview is close to home for me, for different reasons that will become apparent during the conversation. If you've listened to episode 100 with Dr. Shazamore, our conversation ended on a vision of what an inclusive academia could look like. Today, with my guest, Dr. Chris Emdin, we talk about his new book, STEM's Team Make Dream, and we dive deep into the current challenges STEM teaching faces in terms of inclusivity. We also try to find avenues for reimagining an academic space and a graduate school experience where everyone can thrive and contribute, regardless of their place of origin and of their cultural background. Part of my responsibility is to engage with communities who've been historically disenfranchised or marginalized or removed or extracted or who themselves think it's not for you. Like, I want to work with those folks and say, listen, you can be a scientist, you can be a mathematician, you can, be, you can, you can get a PhD. Um, the other aspect of my work is to hold institutions accountable to the fact that they are the reasons why people feel like they can't a- access it. So it's an equal parts thing. You know, so I do a lot of work around the intersections of hip-hop and science. You know, I partnered up with Jizza from the Wu-Tang Clan. We worked on a project where we went to schools in, you know, across the country and had kids write rhymes about science. Right? So, and, and it's about really having young folks to understand, listen, if you can rap about money or, or, or drug dealing or, or, or walking down the street, trust me, you can write about science because what you've displayed in your observations of your environment is that you can concretize complex ideas into this package that is a rhyme and then do it and sound good and cool. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to this new episode of Papa PhD. Today I have the great pleasure of having with me Dr. Christopher Emden. Chris Emden is the Robert A. Nasland Endowed Chair in Curriculum Theory and Professor of Education at the University of Southern California, where he also serves as Director of Youth Engagement and Community Partnerships at the USC Race and Equity Center. He is also Scholar Griot in Residence at Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts. Chris is the author of award-winning books, including his latest, STEM, STEAM, Make, Dream. Again, over the moon, happy to have you here on the show, Chris. Thanks for being on Papa PhD. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited for the conversation. I love the work that you're doing, and I know we're going to get into some good stuff today. So, you know, I'm excited. <laughs> We are. Yeah, me, me too. Me too. And... Uh, The, the first thing I, I, uh, I want to say is, uh, again, we, I was saying it before we started, the record, we started the recording, is I love the energy you bring to the mission you, you gave yourself these, uh, you know, these last few years since, since you've started uh, working on this question of, um, uh, of rethinking uh, education and specifically in the STEM, STEAM arena. Really, really love the energy, the energy you bring to the conversation. Really love the the close engagement you have with the actual community uh, of, of students, for example, uh, and and I and I really love the 
presence that you bring to to the different conversations that I've seen you have in, on different platforms. And, and so it's, I, I feel very honored to have you here today. That is so kind. Um, and, I, you know, the, when people ask about or even mention, like, you know, the appreciation for the energy I bring, it's because if, if I'm asking folks to reimagine how they engage with young people, and I do so in a way that their professors did, <laughs> then, then that, that would be defeating the purpose. And, exactly. and so, you know, the persona is part of the pedagogy, right? Mm-hmm. The self you bring, the fervor you bring, the energy you bring is a part of how you deliver information. And so I, I make no apologies about, I don't want folks to think about that as just a personality. That's not a personality. That's a necessity for the work mm-hmm. that I'm required to do. So, and I totally, I totally agree. I totally understand and it's kind of a breaking the breaking a mold in a way, um, and 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 get, you know building something new from scratch with new rules and then actually setting new rules. Uh, now, I just I, you know I introduced you very briefly, and I ended by stating and uh, that you have this this new book, STEM Steam Make Dream. That I actually I love I love the the title. It's it's very musical to me. Um, it appeals to my musical ear. <laughs> Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, what it is about? Because, you know, of course, at Papa PhD, we, you know, it's a show that talks about graduate school. Mm-hmm. You, of course, focus a lot, and it's hugely important in in previous uh, years of, of uh, education and, and of schooling, like high schools, etc. But can you speak a little bit ab- about what the book is, what, what brought you to write it, and maybe how it kind of translates to uh, to activities, to initiatives that you've been able to develop in these last few months. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head with what you said with the title. You said, you know, Chris, that felt kind of musical to me. And and that's that was the point. I wanted to have a book that talked about science and mathematics and engineering technology, but that had a feel of, of music and the arts and that valued the aesthetic dimension. And that recognizes that for us to be able to be really, truly a STEM-focused society, not only do we have to infuse the arts, but we also have to infuse arts and culture. And we have to make the, the hard sciences. And, you know, I, I was I gave a talk at, at Stanford once, and they said, well, Dr. E, we came to your talk, and it was crazy because you had the techies and the fuzzies in the same room. <laughs> what do you mean by that? You know, the techies are the traditional STEM folks, and the fuzzies are the social sciences. And the reality is that we're all techie and fuzzy all at the same time. And my work is about interdisciplinarity, and multidisciplinarity and starting that early so that young folks can go into grad school with a different approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, my belief is that if you learn in K through 12, that you can do more than one thing at once, that you could be scientific and artistic, you could be creative and technological, you could mm-hmm. be mathematical and playful. Then when you get to the point where you're in grad school, how you approach research is different. The parameters mm-hmm. get expanded. And so I, I'm an educator for the lifespan. I, I believe in K through 28 and 38 forever, forever, <laughs> forever, right? Because teaching and learning is an ongoing enterprise and exercise. And it requires us marriaging our creative selves with our more technical selves, um, our more calculated selves with our more free flowing and agentic selves. And when we do that as a society, we solve the world's problems in more innovative ways. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of the reason why we can't solve the problems that we have in the sciences are because we have the people who are working on the problems locking off an aspect of their solution that 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 the discipline says they can't bring in. So more mm-hmm. creativity, more imagination, more art, more creativity, and keep the technical uh, veracity and intellectual depth of the work. So I'm a guy who I love sitting at the intersections. I love <laughs> sitting where the oceans meet. I think that's where the magic happens. 
it and is, that's what it is what the stream is about you know it's, a, it's okay. about yeah it's about that, that that point of connection and ma and making those bridges. Now, it's interesting because uh, it is true that thinking even of my experience going through through my education up to up to the PhD, uh, for example, um, it's true that language and terminology and and jargon are kind, tend to be very hermetic and very formatted and and uh, very. Uh, I, I want to say beige in a way, in terms of they're they're formatted for uh, uh, for standardization, for uh, you know, for um, how can I say, yeah, uh, being you know, allowing people to easily understand the same data, even if they're in different cultures, etc. But I do agree with you that not all of us engage with knowledge the the same way. Not all of us are are you know find get a, a book this thick at the beginning of university and are excited to go through it, right. and it really and I I find it cool that my my musical comment actually talked to you because uh, I I do think that and I, I, I'm gonna go I'm gonna mention jazz I do think that you know creativity and creativity not so long ago about the process of creativity and how it's not all Cartesian. Some of it is chaotic. I just watched this, uh, the documentary about the Beatles that just came out, uh, which I think is called Let It Be. And I was amazed to see how chaotic the process was of creating different songs. It's not a formula. And, and I, I really, really, uh, it really talks to me, this, this thing that you're saying of let's look at knowledge a different way. Let's accept that, people with a different vision can actually not bring more chaos per se, but through a kind of a certain type of chaos, make us, uh, make us level up in a way in terms of how we discover new things, we find new solutions to old problems, et cetera, et cetera. I really love it. Yeah, man, you're, you're so spot on. As you're talking, I'm saying, give me more. I'm snapping <laughs> my fingers. And, and I think that the Cartesian, Newtonian, Baconian, ontology necessitates the organization of complex ideas into like shrinking them down to the most base element that necessarily obscures the depth of what lies beneath. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes academia intentionally, um, intentionally attaches itself to complex language for the sake of obscuring. Because if you mm -hmm. obscure the depth, you think you're making it palatable, but in reality, you're making it more, more like, you know, like uh, uh, people become allergic the complex yeah. knowledge. And so, you know, my, my whole thing is like, you know, one of my favorite quotes about Septima Clark she said, I believe in chaos because in, it's in the midst of chaos that good learning happens. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever you're the most, like whenever you're studying something and you're like, oh my gosh, it's just too much. I can't handle it anymore. And then you do that extra step. It's, it's on the cusp of chaos. Like, at the end of chaos comes clarity. Comes and that watershed moment, yeah. It's, it's the, and, and that's the kind of learning that sticks. The learning that you memorize stays for a while and leaves after the Until exam. Until you do the exam, yeah. <laughs> after the thesis, it's over. It's like, don't ask yeah. me about this ever again. If you want learning that sticks to your ribs and sticks to your gut and sticks to your soul, somebody wakes you up out of bed at 2 a.m. and gets shot out that formula, it's a learning that happens after the chaos. And the chaos is so beautiful that you see that clarity where all the clouds sort of disappear mm -hmm. and you see where you need to go. And I want us to get to the point where we embrace that chaos. We, we embrace the complexity of good jazz, right? Mm -hmm. We embrace, you know, 
you know, when you hear Coltrane, man, the riff is the same. But then when he starts going off in those dimensions and depth, it's it's like that's the part that draws you in. And then you get back to the thin line beneath. That's the coda, right? And, yeah. and I think <laughs> learning should happen the same way. Um, you know, one of my one of my favorite scholars who actually did me the honor of writing a um a, 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 a recommendation for STEM Steam Make Dream. He said he loved the book and it was really great. But he's over at Brown University, Stefan Alexander. And what Stefan does, he looks at the physics of jazz. Hmm. And why I love his work is because it shows the ways that jazz artists think like physicists. Hmm. And it makes physicists start recognizing that if they were to identify what other fields in the world there were that can capture the complexity of how we engage with a problem, it is jazz. And those mm-hmm. things in the imagination of the public will be the most separate, but in reality, they're the most aligned. And that's just one thin stripe of complexity that he's identified. And I argue there are many more, right? For sure. There's mathematical formulas in double Dutch. You know what I mean? There, there's, there's, you know, there, 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 look, there, there's ethnomathematics in the ways that rappers produce, and we've not even touched the level of depth yet. So why not start studying it now? It's true. And when you see people improvise, you know, lyrics on a beat, it's, it always amazes me how I know there's a part of it which is which is training, but but there must be also part of it which is how your brain is wired. <laughs> And uh, it, it does it does amaze me. Now, I'm talking about brain wiring. Um, one one of the, the things that, that your work has, has made me think about is this question of inclusion and I, and I, t- I mentioned at the beginning that you're you're also involved in, in inclusion uh, uh, at the university where you work uh, and and one, one of the first things that I think about inclusion and I myself I know I come from Portugal my mom is from Cape Verde my father is from Portugal so I, I was always kind of weird you know I, I don't you know I couldn't identify exactly with any typical group Mm. but um uh, but looking at my family uh, which has you have different different tones of color of skin i'm white because i'm white but uh <laughs> but that's all phenotype you know what i'm saying you it's you know you. <laughs> <laughs> but but my, where i was going is how being from a different culture uh how this this or that culture has a different um a different uh, approach to authority, uh, to a uh, different approach to putting yourself forward. All of that may, and, and I think does every day, affect a bunch of people who look at edu- higher education and say, oh, it's not for me. That's right. And I feel that a big under undercurrent of your work is is helping these people think no no this is for me and i'm gonna and i'm gonna excel at it and i'm gonna change it for the better do you have a comment on that absolutely i mean i think that is the essence of what i do and 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 i think it goes both ways like part of my responsibility is to engage with communities who've been historically disenfranchised or marginalized or removed or extracted or who themselves think it's not for you like i want to work with those folks to say listen you can be a scientist you can be a mathematician you can be you can you can get a phd Um, the other aspect of my work is to hold institutions accountable to the fact that they are the reasons why people feel like they can't a- access it. So it's an equal parts thing. You know, so I do a lot of work around the intersections of hip hop and science. You know, I partnered up with Jizza from the Wu-Tang Clan. We worked mm-hmm. on a project where we went to schools, in, you know, across the country and had kids write rhymes about science. Right? So, <laughs> and, and it's about really having young folks to understand, listen, if you could rap about money or Or, or drug dealing or, or, or walking down the street, 
trust me, you can write about science because what you've displayed in your observations of your environment is that you can concretize complex ideas into this package that is a rhyme and then do it and sound good and cool. But then I go to institutions and say, why is it that people feel like they can't go to your school? Like, what, what have you done to make yourself feel as though um, you're untouchable? And, and how do you reinforce these dynamics where year after year after year, you're losing the most brilliant people in the world because you've not connected them? So I hold institutions accountable and I hold young folks accountable. And, and, I, and I, for both spaces, I want to reintroduce because, I, 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 you know, my work has been stretch across a lot of different disciplines. But, you know, I'm a scientist by training, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. I you know, studied the etiology of schizophrenia for a number of years and there's some sickle stem cell research and work in natural sciences. I fully believe that the sciences in particular could be the subject matter that's the bridge between um, institutions that have marginalized folks and folks who've said it's not for me. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh my God, there's so many things I want to <laughs> I want to answer and I want to I want to bounce like with you. But um, I I think one of the things that you say is yes, there's both sides of it. You no, know, you know, young people and institutions. In my point of view, young people are are growing up, are finding out about the world. Institutions have been there for a while, so I, I think more of the onus should be on the institutions. You know, at a certain at a certain time point and and uh, because they have the resources yep. they have the staff they and, and i think they have more responsibility yeah i i, I absolutely i absolutely agree I absolutely agree I, i you know when i say that i challenge institutions to do better um and I, when i say i challenge young folks I, i what i try to do with young people is is to really remove the veil mm-hmm. i i just really think that they perceive that they cannot And like I've worked at some of the top institutions in the world. I was a fellow at Harvard and I, I was at Columbia for 10 years. And I, you know, like I've done a bunch of things with places that are supposed to be like the place. Mm-hmm. You know what the biggest revelation had been for me, David? Go ahead. Cats ain't that smart, bro. They're just not that smart. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I ask somebody a question and they, they'll tell me what somebody else said. And what do you think about this? Well, Vygotsky said that Piaget said. And, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, what do you think? They can't tell me what they think. And, mm-hmm. and so for me, if, If you can't explain an idea to one five-year-old, you don't really know it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, If I ask totally you a question and you can't tell me what you think, but rather you want to showcase what everybody else before you have thought and you can't form an idea of your, you don't really know it. And so I let young folks in the hood know like, yo, them cats ain't that smart. They, they, just, they yeah. just use complex words to obscure the, the fact that they don't really know much. Yeah. Well, so part of yeah, they use it. Revealing, revealing the truth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, they're using this hermetic like jargon and terminology that they that they that they have a good grasp on to to live in this space where then they seem they seem in place. I agree. David, it's about maintaining power, brother. If I look, if the if people say all the time that they want everybody to have the opportunity to do well in all disciplines, that's what they say. Mm-hmm. But they use language that's hyper jargonistic for the purpose of not making it accessible to everybody, and they get power. But being able to adopt that language and speak that mm-hmm. way and prescribe in that way. And the reality is that they say they want democracy, but they want to hold power to themselves. The mm-hmm. only reason why you maintain that structure is because you want to be seen as smart and valuable. And you believe that if more people have that PhD after their name, that it might demean the value of what you hold. Because the only power you actually have in the world is that credential. 
You don't really mm-hmm. believe in yourself. You don't have any real value. You're not really loved. You might feel broken. And so the only thing you have that makes you feel like you are somebody is that credential. So you mm-hmm. want you want fewer people to have it so you can feel more special. <laughs> and the yeah. reality is you got a bunch of insecure PhDs running around that talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion and reality want to be able to hold the power for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's how we get people like me and people like you and people like those who are listening to say, wait, enough. Enough of us know that anybody can do what we're doing if they stay with it long enough. And mm-hmm. let's start earlier from first grade and second grade and third grade in high school so that more folks will be able to have the opportunity to be able to engage in science. And, and mm-hmm. most importantly, so that, so that we can solve the world's problems, right? So that we have more inventive and creative people doing these things, you know? In, in different ways, because I, what I feel is it's like, it's like uh, I, the idea, because I'm a biologist, I'm thinking of inbreeding, right? You want to have outbreeding. You, you want, if you want a species, and here, if you want research to thrive and become the research of the 21st, 22nd century, etc., you need to bring new ways of thinking and not just reinforce the status quo. I, I, I totally agree with that. Now, one thing that what you said also made me think about is, and I don't remember the show that I, it, might, it could have been on This American Life or, or Hidden Brain, um, this, this study where uh, they tested uh, um, African-American students on, uh, on how their um, perception of what, ex- what exercise they were doing was affected mm. their result. In one of them, they, they said, okay, this is an exam. You gotta. You, this is an exam. You're going to be noted, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the other one, they said, this is a game. Yeah. And then the results were completely different because the, of the self-image that that society probably projects on this community of oh you you not you don't perform well at exams. And then they 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 tell it to themselves, and then they have a lower grade versus the the other class. Like, and they were like matched to be the same, you know, same level of education, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they had great grades at this game that they did, which was exactly the same. So there's there's even a love another level of societal projection of distorted, let's say, self image on whole minorities. Well, let me let me even, let me tell you this too, where it gets even more complex, right? that it's not even about self-concept, that there's also a dimension of this that is about historical trauma associated with the spaces where the exam is taken. There, there, mm. I, I firmly believe that there's an epigenetic dimension here, that some folks historically have been told that school is not for you. There's some folks in this country who, if you learn how to read or write, you could be lynched. I mean, mm. you know, the time where literally you could be killed for pursuing academic knowledge. And folks say, well, we're not living in that time now. Well, there's evidence in, through epigenetic that folks have historical traumas that are passed down from generation to generation. The complex studies that are, that are done with even mice were introduced to the smell of cherry blossoms and electric shock. And the olfactory nerves are more sensitive to the, the, the smell of the cherry blossoms. And they're physiologically and genetically modified as a response to historical trauma. And if you associate trauma with learning in a particular way or testing in a particular way, then generations later, we'll still hold on to it. And, and what we know, even in the world of epigenetics, that the only way to be able to counter or disrupt that process is to have a counter practice that is ritualized. And this is why I advocate so fiercely for a new way of teaching and learning. The old way has not worked for everyone, or it's only worked for a select few. But most importantly, some folks have learned through that model and have had historical traumas associated with it. So in STEM CMA gene, I write about PTSD. 
And I say it's not just post-traumatic stress disorder. There's also a poor teaching of STEM disorder. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 you know, and, and there's also a, for, 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 for certain populations a post-Trayvon stress disorder. After the, mm-hmm. the, the death of Trayvon Martin, there's a fear associated with black folks around the, the fear that you could, be, you could be assassinated and there'll be no consequences. And some mm-hmm. folks like to explain this away as a sociological phenomenon. But if we really understand the nature of epigenetics and the ways that traumas are passed on over time, we're not just talking about a, a sociological phenomenon. We're talking about a psychological and a biological phenomenon. And once you recognize the complexity of the traumas, then you know that there, there must be some urgency in how we solve it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it is urgent. It is not evident how, you know, how, where the, where the, the, like the one, you know, one key solution is. Um, but I love that people like you are are bringing it, you know, on the spotlight, and and again with the the great energy that you have and the great positivity that you have, because easily these conversations can can kind of divert to negativity and 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 uh, darkness. But uh, I, I really so love big, the way, David. Robert David. That's <laughs> so big. I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna let you finish. I'm, I'm doing a I'm doing a Kanye West for a second here. I'm gonna let you finish, David. I need to I need to put a pin on that because it's so important. We do not highlight the brokenness of the past for the sake of saying it's doom and gloom. And there's nothing we can do about it. That's not the point here. I can, I can highlight historical grievances that people who look like me have had, should have, and can hold. I can talk about that. Schools are broken forever. I can't hang around with people who stop there. The goal is not to stop it. The goal is to say, oh my gosh, you're right. And there are some mm-hmm. things we can do. What about some art in the classroom? What about some interdisciplinarity in the classroom? What about some culture in the classroom? When I talk about STEAM, not just science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. What about science, technology, engineering, aesthetics, and mathematics? What about science, technology, engineering, ancestry, and mathematics? I, 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 I cannot, if, if you were one of those people, David, I, I'd have been off this podcast already. But the beauty of this moment is that we we exist in a place where we can concurrently identify what's gone wrong and then reimagine what can go right. And we don't demonize people for being a part of the old model. We recruit them mm-hmm. to help us in reimagining a new model. And I think that's so essential. It, it is. And, uh, and I think today... Is is I think it's the right moment because people's ears are more open and people's hearts are more open also to that. Now maybe to bring this a little bit more towards you know what we usually talk about on Papa PG and I, I must say I'm loving this conversation and maybe I'm being a little bit egotistic in how where I'm letting it go <laughs> for me for for you know for my own uh, pleasure of of having it with you, but uh, but to bring it a little bit more to 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 where we we are usually in the show, uh, can you? Can you bring some parallels of what you uh, you've been working with 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 students at, you know at different levels of, of 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 schooling to your experience going through grad school uh, your, your you know and and the experience of other people that you, that you saw around you I'm sure if you were in grad school you had people international students etc cetera, etc cetera. can you bring a little bit of that into what good things are exist today what you lived through and where you'd like to see grad school go uh, in the future? I know it's a great question. 
It's a great question. I, you know, I, I, my graduate school experience was varied. Um, when, I, when I was comp- finishing my master's at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, I, I found a cohort of people that did not look like me, did not sound like me, <laughs> did not come from the neighborhoods I came from. I mean, they were like, it was, a, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, man. Like, you know, I'm a New York cat. I'm working in LA now, but I'm a New York dude. I'm from the Bronx. There's a, there's a very particular sensibility I hold. And, and I, I, when I got to grad school, I, I felt as though I needed somebody who was a direct reflection of me for me to be able to connect with. And I bonded with people over our love for the wonder and beauty of science. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I bonded with people over their curiosity and over their passion. And their desire, and I think that one of the things that we need to do in graduate school is is make folks work more in cohorts so that it's not an isolated experience. Um, And and those cohorts should be constructed intentionally with people who have varying backgrounds demographically, but similar interests intellectually. And let 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 the intellectual connectedness allow for a coalescing of the diversity and then, and then comes people ask people ask me people ask me crazy questions. Then, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody asked me, "Are you really from the Bronx? Have you ever seen somebody get shot?" This is a this is a person that's a friend of mine, very smart person. And but because we were friends, I'll say first of all that's racist. Well, Chris, I didn't mean to be racist, but I'm telling you why that's racist. I respect your mind, but I'm telling you why that's racist. And let me tell you why that has an impact on people like me. And then I give you a space to think about it and offer an apology. You see, there's the things we don't offer people. An apology. I could have canceled her. And then we and then and then help her on her journey around diversity and then learn from her in, in the classroom and vice versa. And I think cohorts in grad school help. I also had to get to a point in my doctoral work where I understood that the goal was not me being like everybody else. And I went through that. It's like, wait, mm-hmm. maybe I should. Yeah, you want to conform. You want to conform, conform for sure. Hey, hey, look, everybody wants to go into a world and feel loved and accepted. They, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, you can't blame someone for that. And so, and if the institution does not allow you to come as yourself, then you start learning really quickly that I should probably be like somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that was violent for me because I spent so much time trying to be like other people that I was losing myself. And then also, it was taking a lot of brain power. Of course. To, to, like, should I talk this? Like, to, to, you know, brother, you know this, you're from Portugal. I know you've been in places where you're like, ooh, my accent. Should I try to fix that for these people? Like, you know the deal? And, and but that takes a lot of, of, of intellectual power. Like your mind is oh, thinking yeah. about, and you cannot learn fully when you're preoccupied with acceptance. And so at one point I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be myself. And, and I think that I grew into a scholar at the moment where I recognized that my being my authentic self did not rob me of my intellectual prowess. Mm-hmm. And I know we're talking about my book, Stem, Steam, Make, Dream, but I wrote another book called Ratchetemic. And Ratchetemic is about being ratchet and academic, right? Being raw, expressive, authentic, loud. You know, I'm loud. You know what I mean? And also holding, holding power and understanding deep ideas and thought and reflection and scholars and, and showing um, ourselves, our grad students in particular, 
that you don't have to lose who you are in pursuit of your degree, that you can be your authentic self and still hold intellectual heft. And I think once that becomes revealed, you know, you win. And that's that's important for everyone and anyone who goes into graduate school because many different things that, that stem from, from what you just said for me. One, if you try, again, like you said, the burden of, be, of masking and trying to be, to speak like someone to, to, or to like a community, to, to have the right codes, to, to walk the right way, blah, 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 blah. It's huge. The burden it can have on your mental health can be huge. Um, the fact that you, you are doing, you are mul- because you're multitasking all the time when you're doing this. Absolutely. So how can you be focusing on your research l- like someone who, where, who's not masking? You know, um, that was, you, you said some genius stuff. You got to slow that down and say it again. I know you can edit in the podcast, but that's a huge point. That a person's existence when they are not themselves is preoccupied with multitasking. And so you cannot give your full self to the learning exercise or enterprise. That's major. Like you said it so quickly. Let me slow you down, brother. That was huge. Because some folks, they have the luxury to not ever have to think about other things. And when those folks outperform somebody who's doing a million things at once, one person might say, wow, they, that person must be smart and that person must be dumb. No, they are just as intelligent as each other. In fact, the person who's multitasking, the fact that they're multitasking and still thriving indicates that they are operating on a higher intellectual plane than the person who's only doing one thing at once. And there you go. There you, know? you go. I, and it's so it's so unfair. It can be so unfair. Plus, where I was going next also is if you're multitasking and thriving, something's got to give. And often it's mental health. Mm. That's that's a huge one. That's and and I think and and when we talk about graduate school, I don't because I know that's the emphasis of your of your show. I, I think the chief inhibitor to the success of I would say 90% of those who are unsuccessful. I mean, some of it might be like, I was unprepared or I didn't get the right training or whatever. But 90% of those who are unsuccessful in graduate school, if you get down to the essence of why they were unsuccessful, is because they had unresolved, unaddressed mental health issues. Fear, fear of failure, shame. I didn't do well on that exam. What does my advisor think of me? Um, uh, um, guilt. I'm the only one from my community I have to represent. And I don't know how I could do this. And if I slip up once, it's going to make everything else. Imposter syndrome. Do I really oh my, yeah. to be here? And, and these are significant mental health issues that graduate programs do not spend enough time anchoring in how they prepare people. It's like, if you have an issue and you break down completely, go to the mental health office. You know, just mm-hmm. know that when you lose it, you know, there's a psychologist on staff. So there's no preventative measures in the induction process that addresses these mm-hmm. phenomena. And we know that these are the phenomena that folks who are unsuccessful are naming as why they were unsuccessful. So something's got to get. I agree. And, 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 you know, there's a whole social anxiety, too, of, of in-group, out-group. And like you were saying, this colleague of yours who asked you that racist question, and, you know, there's, I think, I think as a society, we're taught... Uh, we're taught to think of ourselves as, as separate individuals, and a lot of what we do is, and I'm going to kind of use a, 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 a noun as a verb, but it's othering to uh, it's this othering of yeah. other people who who yes. are who ju- who, and it can be just the person who arrived tomorrow instead of har- arriving today. Oh, I'm already I'm othering you because I arrived one day earlier. Day but you. then pro- professors 
can, depending, and I'm not generalizing, there's great professors out there, but there can be this this othering of, oh, I'm a professor, I have all the knowledge, you're just, you're just a grunt. That, you know, and this, this in-group, out-group stuff also br can bring a lot of weight, especially if you come from a community that's already a minority, that's already been oppressed, etc., etc. Or, again, that comes from a culture where this relationship with authority is not as natural as, as it is in the country you are. And, and uh, you know, I'm coming from, I come from Portugal. There's you no, know, I'm thinking of, you know, different Latin countries. Uh, you know, there's around the world. It, it's not everyone coming from a different culture that can easily go to a professor and just say, look, professor, I'm not I don't really agree with this thing you said about this point. Some people are just not able to do it. Right. Or even office hours. They're like, just show up to office hours. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Just go to office hours. Do you know what it's going to take for me to go to the office of the person who holds the power, who wields that power in the classroom? And like, why didn't you just go to office hours? Well, look, you don't know what's going on in my life. Why I can't go? And you know the thing, David, that, that's also really heartbreaking is that those who've been othered, if they survive the process and end up being the professor, they start thinking that that's the, that's the, that's the norm or that's how the game goes. And you will find somebody who's been marginalized, hurt, broken, erased, who struggled and barely made it. And now they're in a position of power and they replicate the same thing. They pass it down, yeah. They pass it down. They, they, become, the, they become the very same person that did violence on them is who they become. Hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's it's true, and and uh, yeah, we're going deep in this in this <laughs> conversation. We are, we are, we are. But look, <laughs> I think sometimes the depth is necessary because if you don't name it, you can't fix it. It's true. We don't name it just to name it and talk about how bad academia is. We name it so that we can we can address it, and so we can have a language to articulate it. And then somebody who's listening is like, "Oh my gosh, that's what I experienced too." Oh my gosh, it wasn't me. Someone who's listening to this podcast is going to feel so much better because they recognize that they weren't the only person going through the experience because two of us are naming these things as part mm -hmm. of the practice. And so, you know, you can't, you, like Jay-Z said once, um, you know, you can't heal what you don't reveal. True. So we reveal it. Professors. So we, we heal it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it, Chris, I, I was, you know, uh, I'm I'm kind of amazed of, of where we went with the conversation. It, it amazing in, in a positive way because this is stuff that I first I rarely talk about with with anyone, and mm -hmm. uh, and and I rarely hear conversations about this this type of uh, uh, of subject. And um, it's refreshing. It's kind of sad that we're in 2022 yeah. and we're still having this conversation, yeah. but. The fact that we're that we're having it, and the fact that that it's not the first time you come on a podcast to talk about it, it's also a good sign because yeah. I think, it, like I was saying, people's hearts, people's ears are you know are are more receptive to 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 uh, to trying to to go the 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 other way of othering, which is putting yourself in 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 the person in in people's shoes. The thing is, I kind of I'd like to, and we're getting to the end of the interview. I kind of like to get to. A kind of a, a, a positive note, and and based on this, because like you said, what what you don't reveal, you can't heal. Mm -hmm. So now we've we've kind of revealed a bunch of uh, a bunch of stuff that's that's really important that affects a lot of people, yeah. and that in the end affects society as a whole. Because like we were saying, we didn't say it exactly like that, but society is going to face more and more complex problems, climate change, 
absolutely migratory issues because of wars and displacements etc like things that are that are new and that are more and more complex and thinking and thinking that the way we've been thinking since uh, 500 years is the right way it's not going to be the way to go to uh, to uh, thrive as a society and and as a as a, a human race yeah. as, as a whole so based on your experience based on your conversations based on your experience with with teenagers which yeah. i saw and, and it, it's it's so cool and so heartwarming to see their happiness at like coming from with some rhymes you know to you and and sharing them and 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 having thought about okay how am i going to i'm going to translate this scientific concept into into some some lines and, and some rhymes how how would you see a kind of arcane organization like like a university and graduate school yeah. what what would be uh ways strategies um or maybe just initiatives that might that you might share to yeah. to change things like a little bit at a time and and make us break that kind of invisible wall that's there first of all i am optimistic because i work with young people the next generation they're 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 bold they're unapologetic mm. they're loving to each other they understand the power that they hold They're, like, the, the, like I firmly believe that the next generation will solve the world's problems. And it's unfortunate mm. that they have the responsibility to have to, but they are in a place to be able to. And in mm-hmm. STEM Steam Make Dream, and you guys should all get the book, you know, what I tried to lay out is some solutions. So, for example, you know, I interviewed Leland Melvin, and he talked about his, his experience with his dad, who told him that. He could uh, play in the NFL and play football professionally and still be an engineer and had him make and build things at home. Hmm. In the inclusion of maker culture and what some folks used to call vocational skills, but attaching academic and intellectual rigor to the work of the hand and making next frontier. I write about dream culture. Stop with young folks and just dream out loud. What would you like to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor, a doctor. What if you were a doctor and a dancer? Like literally provoke their brain to see endless possibilities. I write about that mm-hmm. in the book. I write about affirmations. What are the words that you say to yourself every morning so that you can convince yourself that you can be better the next day? I, I write about that in the book. Um, I, I interviewed Neil deGrasse Tyson and I interviewed Ron Eglash, an ethnomathematician, who talked to us about this rediscovering the complex mathematics in indigenous cultures. And how young mm-hmm. folks will connect to teaching and learning science through history. Um, I, 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 I talk about project-based learning being a, a, a way that all schools should move away from standardization and standardized tests and have young folks engage in projects that are interdisciplinary and have a panel of experts engage with young folks. So these are there are endless ideas. This is the beauty, David. David, like listen to me, man. We can solve this thing. And and The book has some ideas on how to do it, but more important than even the book is a willingness to explore new things, a willingness to challenge the status quo. You know, for parents, this is Papa PhD, you know, you know, to go into a school and demand that my child gets a type of instruction that is not just memorization of empty facts. Say, I, you know, I, my, I'm sending my child to the school. They can memorize that stuff off of what's on the internet. What are you doing to challenge and provoke them? Mm-hmm. Right? You know, what, what kind of 
volunteer and what kind of after school programs do you have for young folks to be able to work and do things in the sciences? And what I've learned, and I write about this in the book a little bit, is also like I am talking to you, David, via Zoom. Mm-hmm. This dude from the Bronx who got a job in LA is talking to a dude with a PhD with his two babies and is from Portugal. How the hell else does that happen? <laughs> it's not for technology. Well, guess what? You can have experts in the sciences and mathematics zoom in to your child's classroom. Why aren't we doing that? Mm-hmm. So there are endless ideas and endless possibilities, but it begins with challenging the status quo. But I'm mm-hmm. optimistic that we can get there. Um, partly through STEM, STEAM, make dreams, to be honest with you. <laughs> you have a website too, chrismden.com, where I guess people can find all that info. Yeah. Uh, and they can find you on, on Twitter and Instagram at chrismden. Now, these are all great, great, uh, um, now I'm, you know, you know, I'm, I'm thinking in French and, uh, because I'm in, I'm in Montreal and I'm not finding the word. These are all great leads to follow. That's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. These are all great leads to follow. Uh, and, and I do agree with one thing you said, which is the next generation is different. Mm-hmm. They're, they're built different. They're, they, uh, they, the way, uh, the way they interact with, with grownups is different. And I, I, I see it at home. I have an 11 year old and a seven year old. Um, the way they also they are involved at school in different projects is is very different from my experience going through school. So that's you know that gives me a lot of hope. Uh, but now again, going back to thinking, just just to just to finish, if we consider something someone someone who's in graduate school, someone who's code switching to fit in, someone who's masking. I my what I want to tell them after talking to you because of, of what you transmitted is stop doing it. Uh, and and own who you are, but what would you, in your words, tell these people who are having this crazy multitasking thing of living two lives to fit in in graduate school? What would be the the, the word of inspiration? You think three languages? I mean, look at you. Three languages going on in your head at once. I mean, look, <laughs> here's the thing. The, the gift of who you are is actually how far you are from the norm. Mm. your gift is not your ability to be able to be like them. Your gift is the ability to be yourself and still have the wherewithal to understand how they operate. And one of the premises in, in my book, Rashademic, that I, that I pull forth is that if, if everybody's all academic and nobody has any ratchet, the world loses its soul, loses its magic. You, you are there in that space. To, you're, you're doing them a favor when you're yourself. Mm-hmm. Right, your 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 variance from the norm is actually the gift that makes them better. So don't rob them of the opportunity to learn from the beauty of you, and don't lose yourself in the pursuit of something that you're not. You know, be academic. You know that if that's the one message that folks carry from this, be ratchet and academic. Be all of who you are all at once, and also know that you know once you have an academic credential that they have. You're on par with them, but no matter what they do, they cannot get what brought you there. So you're always one step ahead. You're always one step ahead. Wow. Chris, uh, this has been a great conversation. Uh, thank you so much. I, yeah, I'm kind of speechless. Uh, thank you so much for having been here. I think it's a great word of inspiration. I hope people out there who who are in this situation can find it uh, maybe a little bit day by day to, to you know, to Add a little bit of that that magic that they have. Add it back if they if they've been 
it's like keeping it at home when they go to grad school that they can bring right. it with them to grad school a little bit more every day and uh and and that eventually they'll they'll be able to to fully dedicate to what they set the, themselves to which is answer that question and write that thesis without having to have this overburdening of of masking etc cetera, etc cetera. chris Thank you so much for having me on Papa Thank you, Robert David. A- what, a, what a beautiful platform. What wonderful questions. Um, I can't wait to listen to this, but also to support your podcast some more. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.